Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion, no compromise. We can't trust the insect. I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. I'm saying I'll hurt you this day. Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 47. We have a conversation every week about the intersection between faith and fear, Christianity, and the horror genre. And having that conversation every week is myself, Reed Lackey, and myself, Brundlefly. That just conjured that. That actually just this. This is Nathan Rouse, everybody. Uh, but that that uh, that just conjured for me the moment in Beetlejuice with the little fly. Do you remember this? The little fly that gets sucked into the no. <laughs> but isn't there a little a scene where it's on the model and oh, does yeah. it get sucked in something? He goes, "Oh, help me!" Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he's pulling yes. the fly down. And he's like, nah, "Yes." Nah, nah. Hey, Reed, we should cover that at some point in the this not too distant future. We should Ooh, consider. You know what? That's our, that gives me an idea. Maybe there's unannounced plans for that in the future, but mm-hmm. I guess we, this is not the time for them. No, not quite yet. Not quite yet. Not but yet. stay tuned. Stay tuned, yes. listeners. But, uh, yeah. So, so this week, as, uh, evidenced by, uh, Nathan's, call out his uh, his pseudonym if you will um we are covering the companion film to last week's the invisible man boy what a conversation last week we hope you enjoyed that, that as much as we did surprising so yeah we are covering a companion film that might seem a bit uh, unusual for such a, a film as the invisible man but we are talking about 1986 the fly but uh man it's so it's so weird because I've had this, I've had this thing stuck in my head, uh, for like, gosh, at least a couple of hours now. It's just like, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like a, what you watching? Oh, there it is. What you reading? 
What you reading? What you listening to? Listening you do, to. Do you, do you know why I might have something like that stuck in my head? I don't know. I think because it, it might be that part of the show where we oh. discuss what we're watching, reading, and listening to. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Nathan, what are you, what are you watching? Um, I, just the other night, watched... I'm hesitant to bring this up because I feel like I'm in the minority on it. And even though I Even though I like to... Um, Kick a nest, stir the pot. Be a non-conform- non-conformist. I sometimes don't like being in my noise. So I watched John Wick 2 the other night. Um, ah. Or John Wick, the second chapter, or chapter 2, or, you know, numero dos, whatever it's called. John Wick squared. Uh, no, it's not that. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> totally didn't yes and me there. I'm going to give you an F on your <laughs> improvisational um, skills. I saw the first. Have you seen either of these? I have seen the first one. I have yet to see the second one, but but I have seen the first one. Liked it quite a bit. I the first a one's lot. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a very good movie. Um, I was actually telling to the buddy I was watching it with, Matt Murray, um, <laughs> that... I, I'm not like an uh, an ardent non-fan or big cheerleader one way or the other for Keanu, but when he can pick a good project that serves him well, it really he, he's fun to watch. And sure. I think oh yeah, this this character is definitely that. I enjoyed the first one a whole lot. I was anxious to watch the second one because I saw a lot of really positive, dare I say, buzz about <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> We're so dumb. Um, (laughs) So the other night was having kind of a guy's night and turned on John Wick 2. And there's a lot to like. It's a little lopsided structurally. There's a decent amount to not care for. But Mm. it ends really strong. It's good. I I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. And that's always kind of a disappointing feeling. Um, But I I think, you know, it's worth a a rental. (laughs) So gotcha. that's what that's 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 what I got. That's what I'm watching. I got gotcha. you. What you watching? What you um, reading? What you listening well, to? Uh, it, you know, it's funny because I I watched uh, in a very brief amount of time, like a flurry of just a few days. I watched a variety of of superhero movies. We mentioned one of them a couple of weeks ago. Wonder Woman was one of those that I watched within a span of like three days of each other. But the other two um, that I wanted to just briefly mention is I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, volume yeah. two, as it were. Right. Uh, and I also finally saw Doctor Strange, uh, which oh. hit Netflix and I had not, I had not seen yet. So yeah, in the span of like three days, I watched Wonder Woman, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume two, and Doctor Strange. So it was, uh, you know, it was a very well, superhero packed yeah. trio. Um, what, what do you think of Guardians? So yeah, cause we, we, we kind of debriefed already our thoughts on Wonder Woman. I liked Guardians of the Galaxy quite a bit. It was heavier than I was expecting. A little bit more of a melancholic tone. Than I was kind of prepared for, but that doesn't mean I'm like Mary Poppins, it. y'all. <laughs> I uh, I did I, I did very much enjoy it, and what was really bizarre about it is that it is, and this isn't too much of a spoiler. I've noticed a trend in films, specifically in 2017, that there seems to be some uh, kind of themes of fatherhood, like estranged fathers and sons. Uh, reconnecting. I was surprised not only to find it in Guardians of the Galaxy, but also to see it in the Lego Batman movie. You know, like yeah, there, there, yeah. there's, uh, there's been, there's been a handful of, of properties that it's just sort of seemed to. Isn't there, a, isn't there a joke in there where, where Michael Sarah says something about they call me Dick and he's like, kids can be cruel, kids can oh, be so yeah. cruel or something like that. <laughs> That's right. There's some funny ones. Oh gosh. Yeah, and and, and uh, so it's just funny. I, I wasn't expecting that when I went into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, but it was. Um, 
But yeah, it was it was very rewarding. I mean, I think it's I still give the edge to the first one. The first one's just so fun and inventive. I'll agree with that. Feels fresh. I personally think Guardians is very funny though. I laughed a lot yeah. in Guardians too. Yeah, um, it's it, it's definitely very good. It's very it's a very worthy sequel. And uh well, well then well well tell me, Mr. Doctor, what did you think about <laughs> Doctor Strange? You know, okay, so here was what was funny about it. I don't know if it was because I didn't see it in the theater, which may have had something to do with it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was expecting quasi hoping to love it, which I didn't, but I, I did, I did really enjoy it. You know, there's not like a lot of heavy criticism. I will say that when they, when they got into the minutiae of like his training and, and sort of, and this is where I think a theater experience would have boosted this for me a bit. Sure. Um, when they got into the minutiae of like his training and everything, uh, the film, I, I began to sort of zone in and out on it. Where I felt the film's real strengths lie were in the first 20 minutes and in the last 15. I really loved the ending. I so that loved- kind of middle, that kind of like middle hour and a half. You know, <laughs> it's not that long. <laughs> uh, no, like 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 the middle 40 to 50 minutes. I I struggled a little bit. Just you know, visually stunning. I mean, just just visually quite impressive, and I think Benedict Cumberbatch is a is a very accomplished actor. I think some of it was I was also I'm relatively unfamiliar with that character in and his lore, mm-hmm. so I was dependent upon the film to introduce me to so many of those elements, and a lot of it. Maybe listeners would just really balk back at me for this, but a lot of it just felt a bit too technical for my tastes, and and I was. I was sort of just watching it like, oh, okay, yeah, this is the the training section. And like I said, when it got to the final sort of resolution for the for the narrative, I I loved that. I felt like it yeah. was a really cohesive yeah. uh it, it melded the entire narrative and the themes together in a very in just a very substantial way for me. So yeah, I loved the setup and I loved the resolution. It was just lagged for me a bit in the middle. But but yeah, I wonder I if I wonder if a repeat viewing of Doctor Strange specifically you'd find more rewarding because as we've discussed him before on the show, Scott Derrickson directed that, and it really does have the most metaphysical, existential, spiritual weight to it than than most of the other Marvel films and any really big budget blockbustery movie of its kind. And right. Um I found that kind of an interesting I mean it's there's a very spiritual dimension. I don't mean just the astral plane, but Right, uh, sure. Spiritual com- component of where we derive our value and that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I like, though I'm not like a 30-year reader of Doctor Strange, I'm a big fan of the character of the last five years or so, and so was very enthused by the film specifically, and, and thought they got a lot of things right. The humor, Marvel's just really good at nailing some of that humor aspect. Sure. And for me personally, like, again, this isn't going to resonate if you just don't have that much of affection for it, but the sequence when the cape first takes flight oh uh, yeah this, no that was great that, that was, was great yeah that was that was great you may you may you read may balk at this but it was the experience of seeing that in terms of the reaction it conjured in me was similar to like seeing spider-man swing through the city for the first time it was sure, a really sure character coming into their own kind of moment it was it was pretty cool so yeah i, I do dig that movie yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I know I sort of leaned in for the sake of clarifying my feelings on it. I sort of leaned in on a bit of the negative, but I did really enjoy it. Like, I, you know, I sure. liked it a lot. There has yet to be even Iron Man 2. There has yet to be a Marvel film that I haven't at least enjoyed and wouldn't probably watch again in a heartbeat. Right. Yeah. So, so I enjoy them all. But yeah, so just a superhero flurry of what I was watching uh, recently. Well, there you go. So there it is. So that's been another episode of What You Watching? What you reading? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What you listening to? Do, okay. Do, 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 do.
<laughs> so uh i love i love that that just keeps getting snazzier oh yeah man. pretty soon we're gonna pretty have s- like a we're gonna lay a beat <laughs> over, over top of it it's gonna episode. be a whole whole song it's gonna be just a two minute it's just gonna grow like our episodes have grown you know over time sure it's gonna have like <laughs> it's gonna have like lyrics and it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna verses right 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 <laughs> oh my gosh just um, scott roach um <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, by the way okay so i have to say this so uh, he sent us some of his, he's a fiction writer. Check him out on Amazon, ladies and gentlemen. But, um, he sent some of his material. Scott, you did not warn me that the very first story that you were going to send me was about spiders. Oh. And man, I mean, it was, it was a good story. It was effective. Creeped, creeped me out like crap. But he did not know that I had had encounters with spiders where they've bitten me and, you know, poured holes into my legs and all this oh, other garbage. Oh, what? Yeah. There was yeah. a lackey who swallowed a, Fly and uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, there's there's one uh, there's one scenario in which today's episode uh, I might be palatable towards spiders, uh, <laughs> and that's just to get rid of old uh, to get rid of old Brundlefly. Although I don't want to see the spider big enough to take care of him. I don't I don't want to see no, that. At like all. in the movie Enemy. Uh, why are you gonna bring that up? Why you gonna... Good Ew. lord, that final scene. Good lord. Oh. We are all over the place. Listeners who do not know <laughs> these references that we're making are going to be like, what are they talking about? Just go watch oh. the last 30 seconds of Enemy. You don't even have to watch the whole movie. Oh, that is a good movie. It is a good In movie. the spirit of that, before we fly too far away, shall this we... This is going to be a very punny episode. Shall we alight on the conversation topic of today? <laughs> um, so, yes, we are talking about David Cronenberg's The Fly. Zip, the fly. Zip fly, zip fly. Um, <laughs> I had seen this movie years ago. Uh, found it disgusting then, as Whoa. I do now. Um, what was your previous, like, have you seen this multiple times? Just the one? Yeah, oh yeah. This is, so this is probably, for the pod, this was probably my fifth, fifth or sixth viewing of it. But I will say that it had been a number of years since my last viewing of it. I want to say it was at least... Seven or eight years ago, uh, the last time that I saw it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always been a film that has tremendous amount of respect and esteem in my mind. It's in this upper tier where it is, we, we, we discuss a variety of different types of films in the horror genre on this show. And this is one of those like Alien, like Halloween. This is going to make like, an upper list. If it's not going to hit the top 10, it's going to be in the top 15, 20 uh, horror films of all time on any list worth its salt. So yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a very respected and noteworthy film praised at the time praised throughout history. It has stood the test of time. It's, it, it's, it's definitely a film that has hit my radar for a long time. I, would, uh, so, I yeah. think unequivocally it is the most disgusting movie we've watched for the show. Yeah. Yeah, Reanimator might come close, but not, yeah, not that but close. Yeah, but Reanimator is still kind of like there's bodies and grossness of bodies, and then there's this. Well, and Reanimator's also got a lot more dark humor to it right, than the fly right, has. Right, right. The fly, the fly. I mean, not that the fly is devoid of humor. There's yeah, definitely Reanimator's some hilarious. Right. <laughs> 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 but like there's definitely some eccentricities to the sure, fly. I know. But but the fly is going for a bleaker thing, a bleaker it, story. It achieves it. Uh, no kidding. Um so this is one of my favorite trivial bits that we've ever had on the show. Uh-oh. 
So, <laughs> this film was co-produced by none other than Mr. Mel Brooks. I am not joking. I saw that, yeah, and he wanted his name off of it, right? Yeah. Because, because he was worried about perception. Yes. Something. And, you know, and I, I don't blame him. People wouldn't have taken this film seriously if they knew Mel Brooks was attached. I um, thought it was hysterical. <laughs> but what you know, strange strange humor um but the uh one of the one of the things about it that i love so so the listeners of our opening credits music uh will every single episode hear a quote from this movie they'll hear old gina davis say be afraid be very afraid what you may not know is that that is actually originated by mel brooks it's it was the description he gave to the actors about how they yes. should react to the transformations of of brundle as it were and i loved that i thought that was uh i thought that was really nice i, I think that's my favorite trivial bit we've ever had on the show that mel brooks was a co-producer on the fly <laughs> so, so so do you have any trivial bits this time around uh, no i mean i did see that so i think i'm surprising you that i did some research too and i'm, I'm echoing some of your things here yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. i wasn't expecting for you to be like i saw that i'm like <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, okay. You're, like, you're right. supposed to play the dumb person on the show. <laughs> oh, man. You're supposed but to no, be the like... sidekick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I did see where Cronenberg uh, was resistant to Gina Davis's casting at first because she and Goldblum were in a relationship, um, but that ultimately, right, clearly, right. she won out. No, we can, we can. I mean, unless you have other, uh, I bits, have two more bits that are trivial. Tell us about them. Yeah, so I have two more. Just um, fair warning, I may, I may say Tim Burton. Yeah, Tim Burton was on board to direct it. Yeah, yeah that's that right. You did see that. Look at that. Why am I even talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> you can start I don't know my this- sandwiches. <laughs> I don't know if this means now that you're going to forbid me from reading anything about the movies or what, but you know, <laughs> yeah, of course not. that's just so funny. Because now you're just um, going to start sounding like, uh huh. So, yeah. So, so you know, say it with me about the letter that J- that Jeff Goldblum <laughs> wrote to Vincent Price about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> So say it with me about yeah, that way. He, he, he said, he did that. And what did In Vincent fact, Price say? Nathan? You know what he said? Go for it, Jeff. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh! You're like, no, you really are the dumb one. Um, <laughs> when you were, when you, it's funny you bring up the Vincent Price because I had read that. And two weeks ago, when we were discussing Invisible Man last week, um, you referenced last Vincent, week. you referenced Vincent Price and something in my subconscious rattled or buzzed oh. around. And it was that specific note. So now that you said it, it's all becoming clear. It's all there. So yes, right. Jeff yeah. Goldblum wrote Vincent Price a note and Vincent Price wrote back saying, you're the man now, dog. And that is not what, that's not even he says, the reference. He says, that's Sean Connery. Why are you bringing says, in? He says, Jeff, Jeff, you're so busy wondering if you could, you never stop to consider. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he said, he said, Jeff, life finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen. Oh man. This is. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. No, so what I love about this is that Vincent Price said of this film, because Jeff Goldblum said he hoped, and I thought this was sweet. He said, I hope you like it as much as I liked yours, because Vincent Price starred in the original The Fly. And then Vincent Price, icon of horror, 
said it went a little too far. <laughs> he said he said I liked it to a point, but it went a little too far. And uh, so yeah, the only other the only other note that I had, which actually might be a, a transition into oh. you know likes dislikes and and stuff like that, is um, have you ever read the the story? By Franz Kafka, Metamorphosis. Have nope. you ever read that? Nope. The premise is just basically a man wakes up and for inexplicable reasons, and the story never explains why, but for reasons completely unknown to him, he wakes up and he's a cockroach. Right. He's a, he's a man-sized cockroach. But the, the story in reading it, that's very dismissive of the, of a very robust metaphor that the, that Kafka was leaning towards, because it was all about this examination of how you can wake up one morning and just find yourself a burden find yourself uh, useless, find yourself not in, in the same capacity that you were before. And this film really used a lot of that theme to, uh, if you've ever seen the 1958 version of The Fly, it's very good, it's very fun, but dramatically different thematically and in tone from this one. So The Fly, Cronenberg's The Fly is actually much more beholden to, I think, much more beholden to Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis than it is uh, to the original film. Well, in fact, um, isn't the... Um I actually wrote this down as a theme and, and doing research that I might not have done, uh, after the fact, um, <laughs> the line, the, the line where, uh, Brundle talks about, I was an insect who dreamed he was a man, but the dream is over and the mm. insect is awake. I think that's actually a direct line from Kafka. I don't think it's from Kafka. It is, it is lifted from something, but I cannot remember what from it is lifted from a, a, a literary piece of material, but I can't remember which one. I don't think it's from metamorphosis, but yeah, it, that is definitely, and that is, I wrote it down for theme as well. That's a, we'll come back to that line. Cause that line is, uh, that is powerful and haunting and terrifying. So, but, uh, getting into sort of likes, dislikes, I, I just, I just wrote this down. I wrote, I adore Gina Davis and I do. I, I really, I think Gina Davis is fantastic, but Jeff Goldblum is an absolute. She's bad in this. Huh? <laughs> no. Um, but Jeff Goldblum is an absolute revelation in this. I mean, the, I had forgotten just how perfect he is in this part. He is so, so good in this. He movie. really, he really is. And I remember texting you about that, that he was perfect. And it even occurred to me, I don't have any trivial knowledge on the casting of Goldblum, but he even has like bug eyes like a fly. Yeah. I don't know if that's yeah. occurred to you watching it, but. Well, it's funny. I, <clears throat> I jokingly interrupted you on Gina Davis there. You may disagree with me. I think the first half of the movie, they have no chemistry whatsoever. Like, that's interesting. I feel like she's yeah. very cardboard. The scene when she, I can't remember if she's going to leave the apartment or what, but when she finally comes onto him, um, he's laying down and she's talking about his clothes and then she comes down and unbutton his shirt. It feels so forced. Um, I was watching it thinking, yeah, I don't believe that at all. Um, I do think, I, I do think the dynamic improves <clears throat> as it goes on, but I, I really didn't connect with the two of them early on. Although I like both of them. And you know, I don't even disagree with you, but I just find it fascinating that they were in an actual relationship. I know, I know. And then it, that was out. a surprise to me to learn after the fact. I was like, wow. Yeah. That, that didn't translate yeah. well. I've got a, a, a healthy little list here of likes, dislikes. I love that the movie just jumps right in. There is like no establishing anything. It is the two of them conversing. Nope. What I wrote down is, it's the two of them conversing, then back at his place for science. You know, it's like, <laughs> here we go. Like you don't oh, even, you don't good. know their names, you don't know what they're there for. You know, if you've never seen a trailer, you have no idea where this movie's going. It looks like a little meet cute at the meetup, right? Yeah, and absolutely. It goes really sour relatively fast, <laughs> pretty quickly. Yeah, um, that's one of the things that I find so impressive about this film is it's very focused. 
There's no extraneous scenes. Everything propels the story forward. Everything is either thematically or character or narratively vital. And much of it is disgusting. But so honestly, likes, dislikes for me. I just uh, I love the tone of the film. And despite it being truly graphically gory, I think it's also surprisingly poignant. In a couple of moments towards the end, um, you sure. may not feel that way. No, but, no, no. Uh, I, I think it. I think it really it reaches for and gets there uh, on a on a on a sure. good bit of. Yeah, I, I would not dismiss the word poignant for that. Although <clears throat> it is fun. So a few of my other likes to slice before we move on from there is um, <laughs> you talk about you, you in this scenario you might use the word efficient focused economical. I would say lazy in this particular instance because <laughs> I love that. The notion that the movie presents that he can't teleport organic material. And then, like, his actual phrase is that he teaches the computer. And boom! You know, <laughs> like, like he, we don't know what connections he's now made. There's, like, all no. this exposition that's left. Hear me. I'm not even asking for ponderous exposition. It's just a sure, funny right. little, like, where normally there'd be 15 dots you've got to connect. Here's one, and here's the other one. Oh, I can do it now. You know, it's like, (laughs) okay, well, we just, that's all it took. That's true. That's a good point. Which, again, this is is talking about the focus. It's something that I don't know would work today in a movie today. I don't don't know. Maybe it would. But I feel like his decision to get in the telepod is very convenient. It's very convenient. It's the wrong word. That sounds too negative. It's a, it's a, it's a very much kind of a shortcut. Like, like in today's movie of the fly, there's a lot more suspicion and curiosity and, oh yeah, well, I'm going to show you now. Like it's one scene. Right. Where he puts together the connection between the two of them and he's like, oh yeah, I'm drunk. I'm getting in. Let's do this. I'm mm-hmm. feeling, I'm feeling bibulous and <laughs> now I'm going to go for it. Right. Uh, I think the body double exercise routine is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so, because, well, because it's so obvious that it's like I know like, uh, uh, the, his tan keeps going uh, lighter. Don't get me wrong; dark. Jeff Goldblum is hot in this movie. I mean, that's, <laughs> he he clearly was working out in 1986, but I I don't believe for a second. And it, what's so funny about it is, is it just keeps going. Oh yeah, oh, I yeah. mean, it is a full on gymnastics routine. Like oh yeah. Mm-hmm. They didn't even have Google back then, but he taught the computer how to do Google in 1986. And all <laughs> night long, he's studying gymnastics routines and, you know, photographic memory and all that. <clears throat> you're like, Nathan, you're going to, are you going to stop at some point here? My very last, no, my very no, last one. I actually one, agree with everything that you're saying so far. My very last one in likes, dislikes that I wrote down is how the hell does she hug him looking like that? That's a uh, good, <laughs> that's a good woman right there. That is. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, she's. We the, talk about we talk about seeing the invisible people among us a lot. I I might lose my salvation over that one. I'd be like, Nah, dog. I don't know that I can do this. <laughs> you're, on, you're on your own, buddy. Like, I know. I know. <laughs> point, point of no return, right here. Yeah, she. I don't. It's funny to me because that's one of the things that I think the film does really, really well. Is I I find it utterly absurd that she would not be horrified and run away. But Gina Davis sells it. She sells it so well that like, okay, yeah, she's, she's genuinely in love with this person. And even though he is categorically no longer a person, <laughs> right. that, that she's still affectionate towards him and still drawn towards him. Now, I didn't have a very robust list of likes, dislikes. 
But I got a decent handful of scares. Yeah. Because my goodness. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll go first and then we'll bounce back and forth if you want. So the first time he crawls on the ceiling, I can remember like I was watching this the evening that I watched it. I was watching this like in bed. My wife was asleep next to me and I like leaped up in my bed like, oh, my gosh, I was not <laughs> I was just not really ready. And it's not even like a jump moment. No. It's just all of a sudden she looks up and he's ably crawling across the ceiling and i was like oh good i actually I've seen the film a few times it's funny um i wouldn't categorize that as a scare moment though i do understand the sentiment you're going for there i was actually more impressed as from a filmmaking standpoint i'm and, and even tried to find how they did it i don't i didn't yeah. look super hard it might be out there but it was a really impressive sequence uh just visually sure. that they pulled off there um, yeah, because the camera starts up top right. and follows him down when it goes to the, yeah, to the, right. yeah, it is, it is. It probably, I mean, it probably would have been a rotating room, but that, I mean, I don't know. I didn't look it up. I don't know. Why you got to spoil it? I don't, it's kidding. magic. Nathan. It's magic. <laughs> Hollywood magic. <laughs> it's Hollywood magic. Uh, um, but it's like the Invisible yeah, Man. He is actually, they actually found an, it's representation. They found an invisible actor and. Okay. okay. So <laughs> when I was. I was six years old. Uh -oh. I was actively, I was actively, I was six years old. You had just seen Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. Psycho. Get it right. <laughs> right. But um, no, I thought I did not understand at six years old that movies are tricks. Sure. And I thought that anything that had to happen, they had to pay somebody to go through that experience. Right. And that anything that happened on screen, they had to find somebody who was capable of doing sure. said thing. The thing that triggered me out of it is when I realized that they could not make a Life of Jesus movie and have somebody who could really die and rise again. I am not joking. I was six years old. Don't laugh too hard. But I remember sitting there thinking, wait a minute. There has to be some trickery to movies because... I'm not, not going to laugh at you. I'm going to ask you, do we need to figure out how to make you a new childhood, Reed? I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> that, was when I, that was when I dissociated myself from movie reality was I, I realized like, oh man, like they, they've got to be finding a way to do this because I would believe what I saw on the screen. I'm like, I'm like, man, this is like, well, this is in crazy. Your, How in, your, in your defense, when I was roughly that age or a little older, the radio, I thought, and it never occurred to me it was recordings, you know, uh, I thought like oh. the, the musicians or whoever are actually there, which of course is ridiculous. But, but, but still, you know, it's funny about you saying that of, of movies and trickery. I've often wondered, so, uh, you know, the, the theater production and stuff that I do, my kids are a little more keen and savvy to just like, you know, we'll talk about this actor was in that and played in that movie and, and right, this movie. Right. Like there are times I've worried, like, did I, did I hurt a bit of their childhood by, you know, like just dis dismissing some of that magic of like, no, 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 that's not real. That's it's, it's just in the movie or yeah. <laughs> Emma Watson is beauty and she's Hermione. Like it's an actor, you know, <laughs> like that's right, sort of stuff. right, right, right. Yeah. Anyway, back to this hellhole that is the fly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get it, Nathan. The movie grossed you out. No, I no, get no. It. I'm just, I mean, I, I, hear me. Like, I actually think it's a very compelling movie. It, it is monstrously disgusting, but, uh, um, <laughs> yes, it is. I find it much uh, more, a much more compelling viewing than something like Reanimator, even though we ah, gotcha. sort of lump right. them in similar categories, subgenre wise. Um, scares. I'll, I've got like, 
eight here. I'll just go a couple at a time and then bounce back to you. Um, the sure. teleporting monkey is vile and disgusting and so wretched. Um, I'll pair that one with the arm wrestling match from hell. Good Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Crack bones cracking. That was, oh, just, oh yeah, that's awful. Something about that baboon. There was actually a deleted scene. It, oh, I heard uh, it. Uh, yeah. I saw, I read yeah. this. Yeah. See, believe it or not, I'm not going to tell you it. anything else about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't tell the people yeah. though. Don't tell the listeners. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Make them go read it. <laughs> <laughs> you go research these things. Um, so no, but like, so that deleted scene where there was like, he tries to transport a baboon and a cat and then beats it to death. And they took it out because of a screening said with a lead pipe. Yeah. With a lead pipe. And they took it out because the screening audience lost all sympathy for him. So they were no longer on board for him. And I remember the director said something like, or it was the producer actually producer said something like, uh, I guess if you beat an animal to death on screen, even a baboon cat, uh, the audience is going to lose favor with you. <laughs> right. right. So, um, another s- freaky scene for me is just when she's at the clinic and Brundlefly leaps through the window, I yelped. That's great. I was, I was like, cause I, cause I couldn't remember. It had been, I, I was surprised in this viewing of it of how much I had forgotten of this film. I had seen it several times, but oddly enough, I did not have a very strong memory for when I had seen it, like I said, it had been seven or eight years since I'd seen it. But when I watched it again, like I did not remember that moment at all. And I, like I said, I was laying in bed and I yelped. I almost woke my wife up because I was like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> did not see that coming. That is that is a great moment. Um, I wrote down, uh, I first wrote down barfing on donuts. And then I just wrote all the barfing. <laughs> my Because there's so much barfing. Man. Oh, Oh, there's gosh. so much barfing. Ugh. Well, you remember it got... I'm saying you remember because I'm sure you read it that there was that scene with the bag lady that they didn't even film. Did you see that? And she ate the baboon cat and then no, he- good grief, <laughs> no, no. There was a scene where a bag lady startles him eating food out of a dumpster, oh. and he mm-hmm. barfs on her and disintegrates her face. And they didn't, <laughs> they didn't. Even, I'm actually not making a joke like that. Was I know, really I know. It's script. just like it's just funny. Like, I mean, why leave that out? You, you've got all this other stuff in. Why not just have the Brundle? Oh, that's too far. We can't. Right, right, right. Whoa, far. guys, <laughs> slow it down. We're making oh, a Kafka esque dreamscape, not a nightmare scenario. <laughs> so yeah, all the barfing is wretched. Uh, I don't even like saying this phrase, but the fingernail biting, like. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and then he uh. pustules onto the mirror. Goodness <laughs> gracious, <laughs> man. <laughs> I know you love all the words. I don't love that one. No. <laughs> oh Pustule is a terrible word. <laughs> and you said it again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also had, um, speaking of terrifying and disgusting and all of the everything, her dream sequence? I di- Good Lord. I didn't even watch it, Reed. I didn't watch it. Yeah. I didn't watch it. I knew it was coming. I did yeah. not watch it. Like I will, I will go the distance for you, my friend, and these movies and our listeners and, you know, expanding <laughs> my horizons. I didn't watch it. I knew it was coming. I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you probably missed David Cronenberg's cameo as the doctor in that. Oh, movie. yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I'm oh, like, yeah. I'd rather see a That's bag a lady. Deeply get disturbing scene. By fly, fly man barf. What? Than this. I said, <laughs> I said, I'd rather see a back lady get her face disintegrated by fly man barf than watch this. <laughs> and 
ladies and gentlemen, the David S. Pumpkins metrics is changing. It's now going to be it's now going to be levels of what you'd like what you'd like what you'd like to see Brundlefly barf on. Oh Do you God. want it to be donuts or oh a God. human hand or a oh bag lady face? All oh right. Oh my gosh. There's like Baxter Stockman up in here. Um, oh my gosh. So the last of my litany of scares or just pure wretchedness is just the transformation. It's so bad. That's the last of mine. Yeah. Oh man. And bad and like it's very effective. Oh it's, God. It's, yeah. It's, it's horrifically you talk about you talk about forgetting where the movie goes i'm with you at a certain point i was like oh i don't really remember what happens after this and then the crash through the window of the hospital happens and i was like oh i yelped next to you sure um yeah and and, uh (laughs) i didn't know you were there (laughs) i know (laughs) Um, invisible man but then i forgot completely about the transformation so oh, it starts yeah. happening and I'm just like, oh, God, where's a bag lady I can barf on? <laughs> I'm just picturing you sitting here watching that movie. Listeners can't see your face, but I can just picture you sitting like, oh, my God. Did I ever it's, like, it's like in Monsters, Inc. when Sully thinks he's watching Boo get incinerated <laughs> by the thing. <laughs> During that entire sequence, you're just, just like, oh, come up and like, oh, oh, come back up and oh. You look up and now his legs are changing. <laughs> Maybe it's over. You look up and his face just rips apart. Like, Please, God, let it in. Oh my mm. gosh, yeah, that that sequence is. I mean, good lord, the the effects in that sequence are just. Staggering. I mean, they are absolutely staggering because they look as, as outrageous as they are. They look so realistic. I mean, it's crazy. I can't even say the name of the makeup artist. It's like Chanel Jabour. I'm probably saying the name wrong. Bless you. But <laughs> I know, right? But I mean, the makeup behind this was just, it was just absolutely stunning. And I, th- I think the, uh, yeah, that's, that scene in particular is just, incredible i mean in all the worst ways and yeah. the best ones but yeah. it's it's incredible well um, and it starts with the freaking barfing on who's his face's hand and then his leg and oh god oh uh, yeah 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 which they okay so this might movie magic for you you know how they did that hand thing uh wax wax hand well, w- uh, it was wax and jello they had like a, mm. a like a little candy wax mold mm. and then it's jello yeah there's your, do not ever make that sound on an episode about the fly. <laughs> I don't ever want to, we're talking about the fly. I don't ever want to hear anything go. Like, no. Oh, the other thing I, oh, because you don't actually see it. I felt like I just didn't watch it. But they, when the, the boss guy boyfriend is watching the video of him barking on the things and eating it back up yes. and all that stuff. Yeah, I didn't watch that yeah. either. He didn't either. But but yeah, no, he didn't. <laughs> he saw it, but we didn't. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the film is, and that's something that kind of is a trademark of Cronenberg's work. Cronenberg does a lot of body horror stuff. I mean, he's he's a well, but is there director. now? Hear now, hear me. I'm speaking out of ignorance here. The only other things I've seen of his are Eastern Promises, and did he do History of Violence? 
He did History of Violence, which is a brilliant film. Good Lord, I love yeah, yeah, yeah. I love History of Violence. But no, a lot of his earlier work, like Rabid, Videodrome, Scanners, The Brood, like those are all like oh, okay. oh, yeah, oh dead dead ringers. You've never you you may not have even heard of Dead Ringers, where Jeremy no. Irons plays a dual role as twin brothers. It has one of the most gruesome final sequences I've ever seen in a film. It is not for the faint of heart. That 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 landmarked a lot of David Cronenberg's earlier work. But he also did, you know, like you just mentioned, History of Violence isn't necessarily a very, you know, body horror type of film. I love History of Violence. I, I wish we could make an excuse to cover History of Violence because I love that movie. But um, another one that he loves, though I'm sure we will get to at some point, is he made uh, Stephen King's The Dead Zone. Oh, um, starring starring Christopher Walken. Yeah, and it's uh, I love that movie. And Martin Sheen, right? Martin Sheen, yeah. But yeah, Cronenberg's a brilliant director. He brought a, a distinct visionary style to to this to this film. And as you said, this film is just an incredibly compelling viewing experience, despite all of the uh, the yeah all the barfing. Um, <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of different places we can go here. Did you? Uh, b- b- before I sort of run with something that I that I had in mind, did you have any? Specific callouts that you wanted to make in terms of themes. If not, I have something that I'm that I'm going to kind of scratch at for a little while. But I wanted to give you a chance first because I think mine might be a little uh, robust, if you will. <clears throat> I definitely wrote down that 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 quote: uh, "The dream is over, the insect is awake." Um, the other thing I wrote down is just this is a little on the nose for the movie's content, but just that Prometheus and fire playing God kind of idea. Sure, but but you know what's interesting to me. Maybe, uh, Feel free to challenge this. Not that you ever wouldn't do that. But <laughs> I don't really feel like Seth is after godhood, if we're going to use that sort of elevated language. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, right, right. It, 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 you do get the sense. I mean, he is a sympathetic character. Like, you do get the sense it is about the science. It's about the, you know, expansion of knowledge and, and sure. capability and all that sort of stuff. So, so in other words, it doesn't feel quite like, to um, use an analogy here, it doesn't feel quite like a Dr. Frankenstein who is intentionally right, setting right. out to fabricate new life and this sort of thing. Um, right. I think kind of the one primary takeaway for me, this is something I've thought over the years and just engaging theological material too, is that it's just this notion of are there things, things metaphysical, things supernatural, things theological, things scientific, that we really just aren't meant to be wielders of. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. sure. And I mean that in a theological sense of just like, at a certain point, the questions have to just sort not, I don't know. I don't want to sound like I'm talking to both sides of my mouth because I do believe in staying curious, having a questioning attitude about life and, and sort of the wonders of it. And, and maybe that's the difference. There's a difference between curiosity and wonder and control. And right, right, pursuit right. and gain. Anyway, that was, I don't know. I mean, we, we can talk about that some. You feel free to go with what you want to go with. But those were just some of the things that were percolating in my mind about watching this is just because I don't believe at all. Well, you can't do science. You know, no, like, we're not allowed not. to do that because that's God's territory. Right. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't agree with that either. But at the same time, you know, where's the line between things we just aren't really meant to be? tamperers with and right, sort of right, right. not, you know, pursuit of knowledge and expansion of all that sort of stuff. Sure, sure. Well, and, and I think what's interesting to me about this, about this specific film is, and I think you called out to this a, a little bit earlier, is that 
he's developing something, a scientific breakthrough, but he's not like trying to play God. Like his condition is very much an accident. It is it, like this thing that has happened to him. The baboon was fine. For all intents and purposes, had that fly not been in there, he would have been fine, too. Right. So so what happened and and that's why I found it interesting. Another line that I wrote down is when he's saying in that whole big speech, which culminates in I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man. He says in that he talks about like insect politics and he says we can't trust the insect. Sure. And and I noted it in this one because, yeah, that that pesky fly got in where it wasn't supposed to be. And and something went wrong, as as Gina Davis's character, Ronnie, says that, like, you know, so, something went wrong. It was that, you know, this fly uh, was sort of a in, in, in I think about this when I think about the patterns of a fly. We've all had this experience where a fly, mo- most of the time we hear it before we see it or we'll hear it simultaneously to seeing it. And then, you know, it'll buzz around. And what happens immediately after it buzzes around? We'll We'll sort of try to catch it. We'll try to, you know, you know, not with our hands or anything, but we'll try to catch sight of it and swat it and try sure. to get rid of it. What I'm, what I'm driving at here is that there's a chaotic nature to it. Like it has a very trackable pattern of flight and it'll flit over here and land. And then, you know, it'll sense you coming for God knows how. And, and, you know, it'll fly away and flit to somewhere else. But there's a sort of a chaotic element to a fly's presence in your home. And, you know, with a fly swatter and you being faster than it, then you can capture it. But until that happens, it's a bit of a, of a, a wild variable in your, in your home. And I thought this was really fascinating that this creature as a metaphor for the wild variables in things that we're just trying to develop and things that we're just trying to do. So the, the three things that I sort of want to try to culminate together as briefly as I possibly can and invite your, thoughts to her. There are three elements that sort of converge together with me. The first is what I've just mentioned about the sort of the the chaotic element of nature. We're going to use the fly as a metaphor for nature and the chaotic element of nature, which is interesting. I'm saying that and I'm kind of sounding like Ian Malcolm, you know, uh, Goldblum's character from uh, Jurassic Park. But the chaotic element of nature. The second thing is what I called an obsession and or a fascination with the flesh, like with the fascination with Humanity, human, but not humanity in a spiritual, soulful sense, humanity in a tangible body sense. One of the things that I've said to my wife several times before she could back me up on this, you know how sometimes like, you know, things just happen. Our bodies do weird, gross things. And uh, sometimes. I don't know where you're going with this. (laughs) But, you know, uh, nowhere specific. But just I, as a person, have just always been somebody who is relatively comfortable with the things bodies do like bodies just do weird gross things you 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 know i get as as sort of uh lightheaded as anybody if i see like an open wound and it's bloody or something like that but just in general like uh, if i'm sick or something like that and and if i'm sick and i'm sneezing a lot you know it's it's kind of a gross thing i'm not going to go into a ton of specifics but you know it's 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 a gross thing to be sick uh, sometimes, uh, even if your stomach's upset, I'm not gonna all the barfing. You know, you know what I mean. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a gross thing to be sick. But in general, I've always been somebody who, and it may sound weird for me to say this, but again, my wife can back me up. I've just always been just relatively comfortable with our bodies do weird things. Like they're just they, they, our bodies do things that 
uh, seem gross or seem weird or seem strange, um, but that's just part of their design. And then the the third element that I want to bring in, so there's the chaotic element of nature, the fascination with the body or with the flesh, as it were. And the third thing is like, and this connects back to the to what I was saying a second ago about being sick. I think there can be in each of us an inherent fear of disease, not of a cold, not of the stomach flu or whatever, but like a, a disease, something that will come in and will transform you, as it were. So follow me as I'm sort of in real time processing this brain train. You and I, you and I, Nathan, we believe deeply that people are more than their capacity to do something. We've said it on the show before, that we are more than our potential. Our value is not wrapped up in what we can and can't do. So know that before I go into this next part. There's a fear to certain diseases, and I'm thinking specifically right now of like dementia or Alzheimer's. There's a fear that we have that we will, should we suffer such a disease or should people we love suffer such a disease, that we will lose certain elements. I shouldn't say lose. We will be separated from certain elements that make up our qualitative selves, be that our mind or our appearance or our capacity to do certain things. My grandfather on my dad's side, I know I've talked frequently about Papa, which is my mom's dad, but my grandfather on my dad's side uh, suffered with lupus towards the end of his year. My, my father would always talk about how strong his dad was, that his dad was, a, it was, his dad was a very strong man, a rather muscular man, and had a tremendous amount of strength, but that lupus sapped most of the capacity of his strength to do nearly anything. And I was thinking about as I was watching this movie, and I think it's actually something that Cronenberg was metaphorically scratching at, uh, the nature of disease, the nature of, you know, this, this film came out kind of at the height of the AIDS epidemic. And a lot of critics at the time uh, thought that it was a, an overt metaphor for the AIDS epidemic. Cronenberg said it wasn't. It was, if anything, a metaphor for disease in general. But I really found it, found it fascinating, this combination of like the chaotic element of nature, uh, an obsession with bodies and things that bodies do, and then this sort of inherent fear of an actual debilitating or terminal disease coming in. And, uh, it's something that it really made me start to reflect on something in my own fears, as it were, something that I didn't even realize, like, I actually think I have, confession time, I actually think I have a kind of a fear of, like, a degenerative brain disease or, like, something like an Alzheimer's or something like a dementia or something like that. I have a fear of being stuck inside my own mind and not, and not knowing who I am and not knowing, uh, not knowing myself anymore. And there was something as I was watching this film that was sort of raising up in me this this difference in how I trust, just sitting here at 36 years old, how I trust that I'm just always going to be this, you know? Like, I have an inherent trust, or I don't think about it very often, that I'm just always going to be able to take my walks and read my books. I'm always just going to be able to, you know, drive my car. I'm always just going to be able to play with my son. I'm always just going to be able right. to, 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 to do these things, to have this capacity. But there's an unex there's an unpredictable element to nature. Uh, my aunt was recently diagnosed with uh, with breast cancer, and it was something that was so sudden to a lot of us because cancer actually does not run uh, in our family uh, frequently. Uh, not that nobody's suffered from it, but it's it's not a, a frequent occurrence in our family in our 
family history. But what it made me think of is, so yes, Seth Brundle in this film gets into the telepod and he shouldn't. But what I was latching onto is his getting into the telepod prematurely was not the problem. Right, right. Nature took a different course that, that caused all of this. And to the degree that we get back to his line, and that's why that's what's so haunting about it, is he says, I'm an insect who dreamed he was a man. Right. You know, like 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 essentially in, in the narrative of the film, in the mechanics of the film, Seth Brundle died the moment that the telepod happened. Sure. What came out of that other thing had the memories and had some semblance of, of Seth Brundle-ism, if you will. Sure. But Seth, but Seth Brundle died then. And then what was what was produced after that is the fly of the title. And it just dreamed it was a man and and then eventually woke up. And so where I'm going at with all this grandiose talk of bodies and disease and everything like that is I think there's a way that we have to come to terms with that we are not always going to be in the in the state or frame that we are right now that there is a tangible thing to us that there's there's a chaotic and unpredictable element to our to our physical flesh nature but there's an intangible element to us that we i think of course as a christian as a believer i think we have to compartmentalize what how we talk about bodies and how we talk about spirit and i'm not getting into like that weird bodies are bad type of statement. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying there needs to, there needs to be in terms of our own value, in terms of our own personal selves and our sense of self. We cannot rely just on the tangible, just on the capacity of what will happen in the physical. There has to be something else because the physical is unpredictable. Nature is unpredictable. And we get too obsessed with that side of things when something like a disease or like some unpredictable element can come in and utterly disrupt it and change it forever. Is that making any sense or is it too too grandiose or too all um, over the place? Which is fine I if it will is. Read like, read like y'all will never tell you it is too grandiose because <laughs> I want us to be on the same page grandiosity-wise. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is grandiose. It's, it's pretty big. Granted, it is pretty big. You know, I, I think once you can get past the barfing, <laughs> there really is such a... I mean, this movie is almost, uh, I'm not going to use the word Shakespearean, but in terms of these, in terms of the depth of the tragedy, it's, yes. it's massive. I mean, yes. because you make a good point and I agree with whatever producer said, you know, don't kill the baboon cat with a lead pipe because we lose all sympathy for Seth Brundle. Oh, right. Sympathy for that character is a requirement to be able to endure all the barfing. Right. Uh, yeah. Yes, you know, yes. and, and the scene when the telepod is closing with him in it and you know, the fly is in there. Yeah. Yeah. That is a difficult scene to watch because you really have a, a response, you know, like, sure. Right. Oh right. my God. Like this is about to happen. I can't stop this. He's a, he's not a bad guy. He's not a villain. He got a little drunk and sure. he got a little jealous and now he's doing something stupid. And oh my God, it's going to happen. Oh, it's over. Sure. You know, right, like right, it really right. is that level. Like you like this guy, you know, yes. you, you don't want to see him come to ter a terrible end. And I think one of the heaviest scenes in the movie for him is that moment. And it's, it reminds me of these moments in life. And I can't really think of specific examples, but you know, when you just do the dumb thing mm, mm -hmm. and you kind of recognize Maybe in the moment you didn't know it was, you were doing the dumb thing. Sure. Right. 
but then you recognize the dumb thing I did that now I'm realizing that I did do is going to have some repercussions that I don't really want, but you can't avoid them. Right. And that scene yeah. is so sad when he's at the the computer and he asks it the question, but Brundle overwrote the fly, right? Right. He absorbed the fly. Right. right. Yeah. And it says, no, they fused together. It was fusion. Mm, and, yeah. and I'm with you. Like, like, I think, I think I am following what you're describing in terms of, I think on the surface, it was hard for me to apprehend, but this conversation is illuminating some of it in my reading as well. I did see the allusions to kind of disease and, and specifically the accusation or, or the critique of was it an AIDS commentary? And, you know, I, <laughs> there's a, there's a granule of conviction on my, uh, dismissing Ronnie's embracing of him at his worst. Um, right. You know, and hopefully be sympathetic to me and be, uh, be gracious towards me in that comment. But well, sure, sure. There is no turning back for him that lands in the scene you're describing. You know, I was a insect that dreamed I was a man. Like what a terrible revelation to have because, because, you know, and, and this is similar to us, you know, what if you do get that affliction, mm. you know, what, because we are healthy strapping 30 somethings and that will right. come to an end very soon. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. You know, and, and, and what do you do when you start noticing the signs of aging, you know, if we're divorce it from even just disease, but just sure. Entropy. Just age. And in right. itself. Yeah. You know, and the need for. Someone to care for you. You know, the, yeah. I think what I'm trying to get to, even though it feels circuitous and maybe not addressing directly what you're asking. And so for that, if I apologize if so, but even, even the Brundlefly needs awareness of concern for him. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. he needs something to hope in and hope for no matter whatever it is. And that's why that ending is so sad. Like sure. there's just nothing left. And even he knows it and is asking right. for death. Yeah. Well, and that's the, I apologize if I'm cutting off a thought that was not yet whole, but. No, no, go, go ahead. The. We can, uh, we can fuse them together. So whatever you're about to say. <laughs> but that's the thing that I find so troubling about the, um, I find so troubling about his, you know, his solution to the problem. You know, his solution is like, I'm going to, I'm going to take her and we're all going to, we're, we're going to be better. Like I'm going to recorrect the formula and I'm going to, I'm going to redistribute the gene fusion as it, as it were. And, uh, but don't, well, well, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you're saying not this, but I got the impression from that scene. He's saying we're all going to join together. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, okay. that, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. That, that he's going to counterbalance the, the fact that he is just solely fly and that he's going to take her and their child. And they are all going to be one being that right, just the, right, the, right, the, right. The, the three of them are going to sort of reorient the genetic right. makeup. And it was one of those things where I, I guess, I guess to a degree, it's one of those conversations. And I don't know that we have these very much, but it's one of those conversations where I don't know, Nathan, if I have a nice and, I, and, and I'm fine not having one. I don't know that I have a nice, neat button to push to say, hey, this is how I theologically and philosophically and psychologically feel about this subject. But I think there can be some health or at least some value to acknowledging the, like, to sort of calling out the fear 
And I think this film, in this viewing, for this conversation, evoked a strong fear of, if, if we focus too much just on the tangible, physical, presence self, uh, what we can see and touch and feel. Th- their conversations in the movie about the flesh just fascinated me. Like the, the language that they used about, you know, crazy for the flesh and, and poetry of the flesh and everything. Oh, yeah, and he, yeah, yeah. And he goes off on this whole, like, drink deep from plasma, you know, all the right, time. I was right. like, what the heck are you talking about? But I'm thinking about this and let me bring in the scripture. Maybe this will sort of help to compartmentalize what I'm saying. Because this is the scripture that I thought of for this, and it was actually surprising for me to do it, but it was all their talk about the flesh, all their language of the flesh. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I don't have a, as I said a minute ago, I don't have a nice neat button to, to package on this, but I know that I have in my own heart a fear of losing myself to the chaotic element of nature. Sure. That one day my legs will give way. They will not be as strong as they are. I will not be able to lift things with my arms that I can right now. I will not be able to think as clearly or speak as clearly as I do right now. And I'm not ill at the moment that I'm aware of, but we are mortal. We are in the process of dying, as it were. And I think that there can be a way where you wrap your value, you wrap your personhood all up into the capacity of your flesh, the capacity of what you can do. Sure. And if, if nothing else, you know, listeners, please forgive me if, if I, I don't know why I feel the need to say this, but like if any of you listeners out there have a loved one who suffered, uh, suffers a disease, a debilitating disease, either of the physical or the neurological or something and, and feel that I'm being insensitive, please hear me that I'm not trying to be. If nothing else, or at a base level, I'm just kind of calling out my own fears on the subject and acknowledging that I recognize that if if my value is in my capacity to do things in the physical, in the flesh, as it were, then that is that is temporary. It has an expiration date on it, for lack of a, of a less callous way to say that. But there is another element of who I am that is intangible and that is going to last eternally. And I think maybe as cheesy and cliche as it sounds, I think there's a real need that I have maybe to recognize and to confront how much of my own value I'm placing on my flesh and how little value I'm placing on my, on my spirit, that my spirit is really the tangible who I am. You know, C.S. Lewis had written, we are not a body that has a spirit. We are a spirit that has a body. And it's just something that uh, this film dredged up in me, as it were. And like I said, I apologize, listeners, if you're like, wow, Reed, way to drop a heavy bomb on us and not give us much to, <laughs> to latch hold of. But it is it is something that really just sort of woke some things up in me about how how careless I am. I, I, I'm not attentive to my health needs like I should be. I'm not attentive to those kinds of things uh, because I just take it for granted. And even if I were attentive to my health needs and became a health nut, which I never really see myself doing, that would probably be the wrong way to go because I'm putting too much trust in my flesh, as it were. And I don't mean flesh in that sense of sinful. I mean flesh in in that sense of capacity of natural body. So, yeah. Make of that what you will. (laughs) That's that's what I gleaned from the fly. You just don't want to turn into the lackey fly. (laughs) Lackey fly. No, I do not. I do not. But there is a hope. I'm not 
trying to pigeonhole in some some bumper sticker statement. But that scripture does give two sides of the coin. That if we sow to the flesh, we will of the flesh reap corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, we will of the Spirit reap eternal life. And there is a hope as much as there is a caution that uh, we are more than our bodies. We are more than what we see and feel and touch and know. Uh, there is an unpredictable mortal nature to the existence that we carry ourselves through. And uh, there is also an intangible quality to it. And I think that's part of the, the beauty of recognizing from a faith perspective the, that, that there will come a day, I believe in this, and I'm not going to try to drop a crazy bomb on all of us, but, um, <laughs> the, but the, the resurrection of the body that's called out in Scripture and that's called out in the creeds. And, and uh, it's something that I cling to. As a, as a hope for myself, uh, that there will come a day when these bodies will no longer be perishable and no longer be in constant decay. And uh, yeah, so listeners, if you don't glean very much from what I'm saying, then I guess I apologize. But this is what the fly dredged up in me watching <laughs> watching and this. You just, uh, watching and this you film. just barfed it out all over us. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I did. Verbal vomit all over the podcast. And if it disintegrates, I apologize, wow. back, lady. Now eat your donuts. There it is. Wow. That's but, so gross. But uh, yeah, so uh, maybe we should just sort of sort of stop. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and bring it bring it into to David Pumpkins, uh, unless you had something tangible to add or to or to uh, refute in anything I've said there. No, no, no. I mean, I I, I think those are cogently articulated anxieties of an an aging person, you know, and mm, and sure. No, I didn't say aged. You know. Sure. No, no, no. But um, constantly aging. Yeah. I mean, older I, now than I was when we started the conversation, honestly, sincerely. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you've, you've, um, you've given us a lot to chew on like a, can <laughs> like a candy bar, like a Zagnut. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Let's, let's bring in our good friend. Uh, let's bring in our good friend, David. Let's Pumpkins. do it. Let's do it. Um, so we can fly away. I'll fly away. Um, so uh, as, as we do listeners, every episode, we, uh, every episode where we're discussing a film, we, uh, rate these films by our favorite metric, that of the Saturday Night Live character played by Tom Hanks, David S. Pumpkins. So we're going to rate these on its style, its scares, and its substance. So, um, on the style area, you know, this is a tough one for me. Because if I'm viewing style as like the film craft at work, this is a solid five. But I had to look away from the screen or I had to hold down my own, you know, Brundlefly vomit several times. <laughs> so that's going to ding style a little bit. Not because Cronenberg made a bad film, but because it's like, oh my gosh. So I'm going to land on a four for style. Uh, I am going to second your four. Because I'm, with, I'm right. with you. Like, I mean... It's got a little bit of datedness, but you know, that, that sort of can't be helped in some of the production value. But, and I just mean like early costume design and early in the film and things like that and just sets and things like that. But at, sure. from a pure, from a pure film craft standpoint, as you said, it's, it's hard to nitpick. Um, but you know, yeah, it's a focused film. Yeah. Um, as far as scares go, I am not going to mitigate. I'm going five, man. This movie just is jacked up. This is a five, man. This is a five scare if we've ever watched one. This is like, I mean, if you want to classify scares as like horror or terror or suspense or whatever, it's all there. It is it is masterfully executed in that realm. So, yeah, it's a solid five for scares. 
And I'm going to second that again for substance. I mean, maybe that was just sort of what it elicited from me in this particular viewing, but there's just so... We've, we've talked about what feels like just one element of this film. Right. Uh, but there's a lot going on here. I feel like we could have sequels to this conversation uh, and, and never touch the same topic uh, twice. So yeah, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with five for substance as well. Um, I am going to temper a little bit. I think all of what I think you articulated is there. I, just for me, it didn't quite have the substantial impact in a similar way. So I'm, I'm going to go more, um, I'll, I'll go four. Okay. Four, which brings our David S. Pumpkins metric. Nathan, why don't you tell us? Uh, we are at a very solid nine David S. Pumpkins for David Cronenberg's The yeah. Fly. That's, that's, that's not nothing. That's a hearty rating. It is. Makes me want some donuts. Ugh. Ugh. Um, yeah, the, I, I think the film well deserves that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful film. I don't know that I'd recommend it for people. I mean, if you've got a strong I know, stomach. I know. You know, if you've got a strong stomach, it's a powerful film to see. If you, if you can stomach the material, see it. If you have a weak stomach or you're easily grossed out, then you might not want to see this movie. Fly, fly but, away. Fly, you yeah, fools. If, you like that? <laughs> fly, you fools. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, but if, yeah, if you, if you can stomach the material, it is, it is really provocative and compelling. So, uh, as we say on every episode, <laughs> clearly by my, uh, inability to, you know, wrap a bow on all that I was scratching with, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of the conversation. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, uh, listeners on anything that we've discussed here or on this, on this film in general, because it, it certainly is a, a wonderful, wonderful film. Um, so you can do so in a variety of ways. The easiest and best way to reach out to us is by Twitter. You can uh, get us on Twitter. Nathan, what's our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook. You can comment on our posts there or post there yourself. There's a link to that through Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they follow you on Twitter besides the fear of God? At the Nathan Rouse. And you can go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this official post or any of the other official posts for these episodes. You can also email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. It's all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate an iTunes review. If you appreciate the content that we deliver to you, we would very much appreciate a review. Thank you so much, uh, listeners, as always, for engaging with us. And, and listeners, I gotta say, uh, maybe just because I'm feeling a little self-conscious at the moment, but you give us a lot of leeway. You're always very, uh, listen, we, we've got great listeners. I we love do. our listeners. It's and, um, and so, yeah, we, uh, thank you for allowing us the room to explore, even if we don't always explain. And so, Nathan, as always, my best friend, I appreciate you having this conversation with me. Thank you so much, as always, and for putting up with the fly again. Yes, you're, you're very welcome. Um, <laughs> it, it was, it was an experience. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you for your time today we will chat with you next week all right see you next week bye guys